Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Are you interested in angels, demons, ghosts, spirits, and monsters? Are you curious about their origins, influence, and how to protect against the unknown? If so, then welcome to Southern Demonology, the podcast that explores all of this and more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello all, and welcome back to Season 4, Episode 9 of Southern Demonology. As always, this is your friendly neighborhood ancient demonologist, JJ. Today, I bring you something truly special. This is an interview that I have been looking forward to releasing for quite some time. You see, my Discord server for Southern Demonology is an amazing place. And goodness knows it's not because I'm there. No. The reason why I value the community that has been built up is because of the amazing people that inhabit it, that truly form the heart of it. And today, I am bringing you an interview because of the existence of this Discord server as I never would have met him otherwise. To my podcasting audience, I would like to introduce Dr. Bert. He is a medical doctor and psychiatrist from the Netherlands who has been actively practicing in the field for more than a decade. And he has done so on the forensic side, dealing with crimes. You may have had the pleasure of hearing his very first English podcasting interview on Trailer Trash Terrors. But he agreed to speak to us about several different items. Namely, I wanted his input on the movie Nefarious. How was the field of psychiatry represented in his professional opinion in that movie? But that was only the entrance to the doorway. For in this conversation, we bounce from that to the old term of multiple personality disorder or the more modern term of disassociative personality disorder to the nature of evil, some of the cases that he has dealt with, which at least exhibit mortal evil, and finally, some of the more paranormal experiences that he has encountered. You may be wondering, why are you talking to a psychiatrist when your podcast is mainly around 
demonology, academic subjects, and spiritual warfare? And the answer is pretty simple. We have, up to this point, discussed mental illness as something to be eliminated as a possible explanation for behavior that could be confused for demonic possession. However, we have never really looked at that topic by itself. And as Father Birdsong is very famous for saying, you cannot cast out mental illness. And I think that phrase deserves a good bit of examination in and of itself. Now, I will say that at certain points in this interview, you may hear some background noises. When Dr. Burt and I are speaking, there was currently a torrential rain happening in Amsterdam, and his plumbing system was not fully able to keep up with the task. So, it only happens a few times, but I did not want you to think that you were hearing someone flushing a toilet it was rather because his sink was not fully able to take care of all the water that it was currently receiving. And lastly, as the holidays are right upon us and I have more work than I can possibly handle, I figured that I would release this episode not in my customary two parts, but rather as a complete episode because a, I didn't have the time to divide it, but more importantly, consider this an early gift from me to you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Burt. Hello all, this is JJ, and you are joining us on Southern Demonology yet again. And today I have a very special guest, someone who is absolutely not from the U.S., which is a nice rarity for me. He has been a member of our Discord server for quite some time, uh, one of the most active participants that we have, and is a mental health professional, which we have talked about mental health, especially in terms of rolling it out as a possible cause for demonic possession. And it will be fantastic to get a actual seasoned and educated individual's response to a lot of these types of questions. So, Mr. Burt, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, thank you, JJ, for your introduction. Well, I'm Burt. I've been... For 10 years now, I've been a psychiatrist in the Netherlands. The first seven years, I've mainly worked in a forensic uh, psychiatric hospital. And afterwards, I've had some different experiences, uh, both with acute psychiatric health care and also with addiction. Wow. That does not sound like an easy type of position to hold. <laughs> <laughs> I will never ask about individual patients because I want to respect everyone's privacy, nor do I want to put you in any kind of a compromising situation. But what are some of I me? Mean, I know that you describe kind of the general symptoms that you can treat, but 
what are some of the like real world situations that you have that you have been able to witness as part of your duties well it's, it's a very broad broad spectrum of mental illnesses from uh, from uh, different kind of addictions to people with uh, severe depressions psychoses but also people suffering from uh, PTSD and some personality disorders for example in a therapeutic uh, pudic uh, environment gotcha and how did you find yourself in this field what drew you to it well i think for the most important thing is is to have this contact with people to hear their stories and to help them in their lives i think the the most intimate is the mind it's it's your private space and if that is because of a mental illness disturbed it puts a lot of suffering to to the patient so and to help lighten that burden well that that that's something that drew drew me to it and what type of education did you require in order to enter into this field well i have First, you have to become a doctor, so a medical degree, mm-hmm. and afterwards uh, you have a specialization for about four and a half years to become a psychiatrist. Wow, that is intense. Let me ask you: so you you began listening to the podcast and joined our Discord server. What was the reason behind that? I have a, a broad interest in in in, in history and all kinds of things so i was really looking for for some something with history and stories in it mm-hmm. and i came across southern demonology so i wasn't looking to to summon demons or something or uh, <laughs> um, i hope no one does. <laughs> <laughs> and i like to read sometimes i like to read uh, stephen king's and well there's a, a lot of uh, supernatural in there as well so I thought, well, I'm I'm going to give this a, a try, and it was only a half hour drive. So I looked for an episode which which took uh, about a half hour, and it was it was the episode in which you told us about your experience in Japan, mm-hmm. about the dream you had, and I it was it was night and I was driving at home, and and you were telling it in such a way that I got shivers all over my body. Oh, um, <laughs> and and after that, I I just started at the beginning, and uh, I think, well, this this man knows a lot about history, about languages, about other cultures, so that made made me stay. You reeled me in. That tickles my heart today. <laughs> One of the things that in preparation for this interview was. I had asked you if you would be able to watch the movie Nefarious. Were you able to actually do that? Yeah, I, I did. It was, a, <laughs> so it was a little bit complicated because it isn't streamed in the Netherlands. So I had to do some VPN trick and detour, and, but finally managed to, to see it. Fortunately, I apologize for having to make you jump through those hoops. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no problem at all. I, I very much enjoyed the movie. 
and my wife as well. Oh, good. So, yeah, so you did enjoy the movie. But I really want to know from your perspective, what did you think of how they presented the field of psychiatry in that film? Well, I was I was pleasantly uh, surprised because in, in a lot of films, a psychiatrist is a bit of bit of a caricature. Mm. This old man with with uh, with a beard and uh, and such and a pipe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or a psychiatrist that that is also a bit unhinged himself, but but how it started and how he presented it was very recognizable. Yes. I've discussed the movie a good bit. So there is, you know, a, a synopsis in the very final episode of season three. And then, at least as of this recording, you haven't heard kind of a an analysis that Father Birdsong and I had done on this film together. One of the things that really bothered me about the film is that the psychiatrist comes into the jail cell very much full of himself and thinking that he knows exactly how the world works. But yet, in such a short order, he collapses. Like, mm-hmm. his worldview is completely changed. And rather than being the dominant force in the room, he becomes the subservient force in the room. Mm-hmm. And it was meant, I think that the movie was trying to show more character development, but it skipped all of that and just went from, I'm at the top of the world to, oh gosh, I'm a lowly bug and I know nothing. I was really wanting to get kind of your take onto that. Yeah, well, I think it is the development, it goes too to swift, for my opinion. Mm-hmm. To my opinion, because what you say, I agree with. You you expected more of a, a slower erosion of uh, the personality, uh, of his confidence, mm-hmm. and if I recall it correctly, uh, correctly, it was at the moment that that he found he found the book that he the notebook in which his entire past was written. Yes. That was a part that was not that believable, I think. Also, to me, he was he was also a bit of tempted. Of course, he was tempted by the demon to, at one point, to, well, let me enter. Uh, and, and yes, I'll let you enter me out of my free will. He was playing along with, with his, his patience, so to speak. And that's also something I think I, I, I would never do. Yeah, that's one thing I really wanted to get your take on this. Let's say that you were ever placed into a similar situation where you're possibly dealing with a patient who has delusions and maybe that is combined with I know it's the outdated term for it, and I don't know the, I can't think of the modern one, so you have to forgive me, multiple personality disorder. Mm-hmm. How would you go about approaching such an individual? Well, first of all, I think 
I would really have to take my time. If that is in my differential diagnosis that, that someone has this associative identity disorder, mm-hmm. you really have to take your time. But you also have to, you have to have a biography of what, what is this for a person? How did he develop? What, what's his background? And is it a logical story? Is it a logical development? Can you, can you understand why he does certain things? And also, if there is this dissociative identity disorder, you should be, be very precise in this. And the way he was, he was placed in, an, in a situation in which he had to finish his interview within a few hours and, and only, he had only time for an assessment of one conversation, actually. Mm-hmm. And I would not like to be in such a situation that I'm really under such a pressure. Oh, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> and also to, to a few hours before the execution, it's, it's also for a patient. I think it's too late for, for a, a fair assessment. Gotcha. Yeah. Typically, I mean, how long would it take in order to come to an adequate assessment for such a condition? I know that there's no set amount of time, but I'm just curious. I mean, would it require hours upon hours of conversation in order to dig down? It doesn't have to be hours and hours. It depends. But I think you really should take your time also with with the background, also with the biography, also with asking a relative, father or mother or or a sibling about about the patient to make sure you ha- you, you look at it at different angles. Mm-hmm. And most of 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 the persons who have a dissociative identity disorder have a history of trauma, often in, in childhood. And trauma can be broad. It can be also from abuse, uh, physical abuse, but also uh, traumatic hospital experiences when they had severe illness, for example. So there are different, can be different causes. Because that does seem to be the root of what causes that, right? The individual is unable to process whatever event sparked the dissociative personality disorder. And so it's a coping mechanism? Is that Exactly, exactly. It creates, a person creates different aspects of themselves. And and these different aspects can be extremely different. There can be an aspect that is a a female, while the person himself is a male, for example. So there is a very broad uh, spectrum in, in differences. Wow. Okay. I think that that's one of the other things that really kind of fascinates me in that you deal with the mind on a day in, day out basis. And you're working with a constructed reality that your patients have. How how generally do you go about attempting to reconcile 
their constructed reality with normalized constructive reality, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, it's the story of or the narrative patient. And from the narrative, you have to distill your, your own narrative mm -hmm. in, how, in order how to help a patient. And of course, be, because I think the basis of giving mental health is, is having a, a, a trust. Yeah, you, you would like to, that your patient trusts you. Mm -hmm. and, and that is sometimes can be a bit difficult, certainly if, if someone is a bit paranoid and thinks he's being prosecuted or being hunted uh, by uh, some, some agency. But I would never play, I would not play a game with, with, with a patient or, or pretend towards the patient. Right. Or if a patient hears voices and I don't hear them, I wouldn't say, well, yes, I hear those voices as well. Or, but I won't argue with them as there are no voices because the person hears these voices as clearly I, as I can hear you. So that is the reality of, of the person in front of me. He hears right. the voices or he sees things that I cannot see, but he is in suffering or she, she suffers under these, these experiences. And I'm trying to help uh, such a person from, from my profession, mm -hmm. from what I've learned with, with therapy or with medication or sometimes looking at the environment where a person lives and, and perhaps changes can be made there. Yeah, because, I mean, if you did play into believing that, you know, you hear voices or whatever type of symptom that they may be suffering from, that seems like a really fantastic way to break trust. Exactly. Because, and they could exact, start asking you, well, what did they say? Or, you know, what happened? And then you would have no idea how to respond to it. Yeah. So you have to create this safe environment, a safe space. And by doing it is, is listening to the patient and, of course, acknowledging that they have these complaints. Some patients are, can be pretty confused or, or delusional, and you're not helping someone by adding oil to the fire or by trying to, to get your right. It, it is not, it's not a match. Hmm. That, that makes total sense. Have you had to work with individuals who did have dissociative personality disorder? No, I, ha I haven't. I haven't. Because okay. I, I mean, that's pretty mm -hmm. rare overall, correct? Well, I've, I've looked it up as preparation also for this, this because I'm, I read about 1.5% or 2%, how you say it, uh, uh, prevalence. So mm -hmm. it is not that uncommon. Only in the settings where I have worked, so in the acute, I see, I've seen a lot of people with, with schizophrenia. And in, in the forensic, I've seen as well people with schizophrenia with, with personality disorders, but none diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder. And gotcha. that might be 
because they weren't there, or also it might be that we do not rec haven't recognized it as being this disorder. Hmm. And that brings me, and I know this may be a bit of an uncomfortable question, and that's not my intent. In your experience, have you ever dealt with a patient or a situation that you were unsure whether the modern definitions of psychiatry, psychology, whatever it may be, could not adequately explain? Well, perhaps one, one step back. You know the DSM. That's our Diagnostical and Statistical Manual. Mm -hmm. I, have it, I have it here. It's very fat. It has more pages than, than the last uh, version. This is uh, version number five. Mm -hmm. And it's full of diagnosis or classifications. And the class, these classifications, you can classify by, by looking at behavior. We don't have an X-ray or we, do, we, we don't have any way yet to, to see what is really going on in the mind. Right. So we have to look at the behavior and what, what a person tells us. And then we go and see what matches best. And I've seen strange behavior, but it will be, there will also be, it, it can also be classified or it can be, it, fall, it can fall under a classification, which doesn't mean because what we're dealing with also in the DSM, the classification, it's a classification. It's not like, how to explain this? If you have a broken leg, you're, you, you, have, you can make a picture and you see, well, that, that's clearly a broken uh, leg on the X-ray. Mm -hmm. You see the bone. A classification is, is a sort of construct. For example, ADHD, yeah? someone has an attention deficit uh, with hyperactivity. So you see these, these symptoms and then you label it as being or classified as being ADHD which you have to take care of that it is also we make this classification it is not a thing I don't, I don't know the english word but you have to be you have to take care not to reificate it to to make it a thing mm -hmm. so perhaps a bit a bit complex how i'm to explain it no no, no man that that makes total sense you don't want to introduce new things which may not have been there in the first place. The reason why I, I ask this is because there are, there's one kind of Hollywood trope, I guess you could say, that exists when it comes to people in the mental health field who are dealing with anything possibly paranormal. Mm -hmm. And it is, is that there are obvious signs that something cannot be explained, but yet they will latch on to, you know, whatever possible diagnosis, which may kind of sweep it away. So there's that side of it. But then, and this is 
completely an uneducated viewpoint, so you have to forgive me for that. But when going through school myself, there would be quite some conversations around, I wonder how many people are currently in mental health facilities which are suffering from possible demonic influence. And these two questions always kind of seem to run in the back of my head. And of course, I have zero education in this front, so I am not qualified to go from either direction. But now that I have someone who obviously is, that's why I wanted to broach that kind of a question. Yeah. Well, I think there are, of course, there have been patients that did not react to medication and they were severely ill with, with, they had a diagnosis of schizophrenia, for example. Mm -hmm. They were very, very much suffering with, I can remember a man who, who wasn't able to, to get to the normal ward, but had to be kept in isolation the entire time. And because he experience and every night that when he slept or when he fell asleep, he experienced uh, being, being sexually abused by, by groups of men entering his, his room. And in order to prevent that, he was defiling himself to make himself as, as repulsive as, as possible. And oh gosh. And they tried everything, uh, medication, but also electroshock therapy, and nothing worked. And was this man possessed? I don't know, because I, that's not where my authority lies. Right. But he was, he was in great, great pain and uh, suffering. And, and that is something I see now and then, not in this. This was a very extreme example, uh, one of the most extreme examples I've seen. But it is they use the feeling of of powerlessness as in such a situation as a healthcare. Someone in healthcare is is very difficult to cope with. I couldn't even begin to imagine. And and let me say, I'm I'm. I'm pretty well lucky or well I'm I'm a psychiatrist so I'm not doing this daily cleaning daily trying to to wash this person or trying to that was the task of the social therapy of of nurses and so each day they have to approach him to see to take care of him and that is that's pretty difficult when you're dealing with another life and you are in a position of authority where you're able to help that person that the responsibility alone is kind of i, I would imagine it brings about more than a little bit of pressure <laughs> yeah how, how do you deal with that pressure fortunately fortunately not with drugs and alcohol Always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, fortunately, I have this this wonderful wife I can and talk with, and and. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Colleagues, uh, we're, we're talking a lot about situations talking talking to each other and and being open what it does to you i mean it breaks your heart and although the person this this patient in particular was dangerous really dangerous to others it is tragic to see a human being reduced or by 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 such a suffering and and i think that's what what is one of the challenges, certainly in forensic psychiatry, is to to keep seeing the person. Yes, the person was convicted, had done most of the time something something awful, but are also in in some way a victim to a mental illness, and you hope that to to help them in such a way that that. At one point, they can return in a safe way to to, to back to society. Mm. Over the years, have you found it easier to distance yourself from the situations and your patients, or have you found you yourself becoming more empathetic? I think. The latter. I'm very wary of becoming callous to to this these kinds of situation. And one of my first jobs was was an intensive care unit in a in a general hospital, and I worked there. And it was also for me. It was. I saw daily these people lying there on tubes and and with all the machinery around it, and it it becomes it it becomes part of 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 the furniture almost because right. it's it's your daily and and a part of it's it's also a good thing that you're not constantly aware of where you are and and that you're swept away by it. But each time relatives visited. Um, patient i i saw how they looked at their their relative how they looked at the patient and and also certainly when they came for the first time the, the sometimes the shock in their face that there were so many tubes and, and lines and, and whatever that it that was a, a, a the day that those visitors and the situation was a, was a great lesson for me to say, well, I should very much take care of, of, of not becoming insensitive about this. 
And mm. I know, unfortunately, there, there will be colleagues that, that cope in that way. Yeah, and I, I know that it is a, a common conception that as people get older, their world does tend to collapse and become a lot smaller. And as a result, they can become embittered. But maybe it's just this particular stage of life that I find myself in. But over the years, I have definitely found myself becoming more empathetic to others than the opposite. And that's actually been a rather surprising event to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I believe it, it lets your world grow. Yeah, absolutely. You're not worried about telling people to get off your lawn. You're rather wondering, why are they there to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's what I love about your, your podcast and, and the interviews you you have your you have this this way of interviewing that people really can tell their stories, and you're being non-judgmental about it. Yeah, because I mean, I, uh, I I will be honest. I've never thought very highly that I am the authority in any particular thing, besides maybe a really strange language that very few people know. <laughs> And that has very little buried upon the real world. So I'm not particularly, you know, hum uh, influenced by all that. But I guess the last thing that I really wanted to ask you is, have you ever encountered anything that you would consider to be paranormal or at least unexplained in nature? Well, whether it's let's, part of your job or not, I mean, it can be just anything. Well, it's, it's more in a, in a personal sense, perhaps. And if, if it's, I don't know if it has been paranormal but or not, but I've had some very, when I was younger, a child, mm -hmm. I've had some very, very uh, vivid dreams or experiences. I, w I would be lying in my bed and... I was not aware that I had gone to sleep, but I had no control over my body. So I, I stepped out of bed. I knew I didn't want to, but I stepped out of bed, out of my bedroom. It, it was pretty dark and went into the hallway. And it was a, a pretty long hallway. And at the end was, was another room with, with, with laundry for the laundry in it. And I would, hide there and I could see one of the doors going outside to mm -hmm. the backyard and it had yellow it had glass from a, a bit of air in it it was bubbly and behind it there was this this tube light mm -hmm. and it w was shining there but I would I would see this figure appear and it was a figure, and, and it, it sounds bizarre, but it, it had something on its head, a hat kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I was, I think, about six, seven years old. And only later, I heard about the, the hat people or men. Oh, yeah, the hat man. <laughs> so, and, and I tried 
and it would just stand there and after a while it would go away but and i would return to my bed and and it finished and it ended once again i was uh, i was lying in bed and i woke up and it only ended i i was somehow lucid in my dream or i had some uh, agency of my body and i started praying and the dream it, it stopped there so i never had this this kind of dream again so that was also particular well a coincidence or something so <laughs> you tell wow. me jj because you you are more uh, of an authority on this field than i am <laughs> no that is interesting yeah i've i've heard what and watched numerous documentaries and heard plenty of stories about shadow people and hat men and possible explanations of you know things in our peripheral vision can often skew things one way or the other or but i've had a lot of those types of dreams where i don't know if i'm awake or i'm not and i have encountered something horribly wrong and whether it's real or not i can't tell you for sure but i can say that it definitely has left an extremely lasting impression <laughs> to the point where i i'm pretty sure i definitely encountered something horrible and i don't know what it is so i wish i had an answer to that and i will be the first to tell you that i absolutely do not <laughs> <laughs> Were there any other, because I know that you had written a few things, and currently my eyesight is playing some tricks on me today. Were there any other topics that you wanted to cover while we were speaking today? I know you talked about language and use of term, terminology. Yeah, and well, there are different, different subjects. I was also thinking about, about the... the in a situation with nefarious, I was also thinking, and, and, and my experiences in, in the forensic, I was also thinking about the, the topic of evil, mm -hmm. and the preternatural evil and, and the mundane evil, and the latter I have quite some experience in it. So, but that might be a very uh, elaborate. Oh, no, I, I would love to get into that because... Uh, I'll tell you at least my rudimentary thoughts on it, and then I would love to get your reaction and what your much more informed opinion would be. Where, to me, human evil is primarily based around either pure ignorance or pure selfishness where you're either focused on your own needs or you are absolutely unaware of the consequences of your actions. Whereas to me, evil writ large is much more, you're fully aware of what the consequences will be. And you know that these actions will lead to horrific harm and that is your that that's your goal that's your aim it is to inflict as much pain and suffering as humanly possible rather than just being unaware that it will cause this 
what are your thoughts on that? How do you react to that? And have you ever encountered something which you think goes beyond just pure mortal evil? Well, I've seen, I've spoken to a lot of people who committed evil acts or committed bad, bad stuff, and which I call evil. And there is this psychiatrist who also wrote, his name was, let's see, he wrote People of the Lie, Scott Peck, you know him? I don't know. He is a psychiatrist as well. And he wrote about, he helped also in, in exorcisms, or he, he even did some exorcisms. And he pleaded for a, a, a definition, uh, a, a diagnosis, uh, evil as a diagnosis. That's something I, well, I can't, I don't see any addition for, for, for the field I work in to, to, to label a person as being evil. Right. But the evil. Yeah, I mean, that would, that would almost be admitting that there is zero chance of redemption of that individual. Exactly. It's a, it's a very normative label. And I think it does not, not, it will not help at least not our field to, to label as something, some, uh, as someone as evil. And, but the crimes that uh, I have, I've uh, heard of, of horrific crimes uh, they've done. And what you say, well, there, these crimes were often not done out of ignorance. It was really somewhere in a state of, of psychosis. Mm -hmm. They thought their, their spouse was replaced by, by a reptilian or something, or, or they were really psychotic. Right. But I've met, um, and I find it difficult to talk about this, but because there's, there are not many, and if you're tr talking about real, what, what for me came closest to, to real, feeling real evil was this man, and he, he really got under my skin, and it was a man who was convicted of abuse mm -hmm. with, his, with his children. Oh, gosh. And... He had, he was married, got children, abused them, got divorced, went to, an, had another relationship, married again, had children, and he abused them again, uh, systematically. And he was, uh, I, I talked to him, and he was telling me that he was a different person because well, he was uh, into Christ and he was uh, redeemed and all that. But he was also very angry at his spouse because she had informed the newspaper about what he had done. And he was so angry about that. He told me, I asked him, well, you had two marriages, two, two families, and, and both families, your children. You, why? Why did you do this because i can't i can't imagine why someone would do something like this yeah and i 
He said, well, I was married. I say, well, there, there are different ways to, 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 if you, but not your children. I mean, you, pornography, there is everything. It's, prostitutes, not that I don't want to condone that, but why your children? Well, he said, well, I couldn't go to prostitute. I couldn't go pornography because, well, I'm married and you can't do these things if you're married. And it baffled me, and I was I was really speechless after he he told me this. With he wasn't joking, he wasn't he was that serious about this, and I would be baffled too. Oh, well, in the end, I was not able because my my daughter <laughs> she's ten now, so it's quite some time ago. But she she was just she was just born, and. I felt I can't help this man. I can't. There was a time that I wouldn't see myself able to kill someone. But after my daughter was born, I think that changed. Absolutely. I wasn't able to help this man. And as a more experienced, he was a kind of mentor uh, to me, experienced psychiatrist. And, and he took, took over. And he later, we talked later, a few years later, uh, we talked mm -hmm. about this man. And, and he said, well, I've had the same problems as you did. And this man I was, was in where he was, in this high security facility, had been able to, to smuggle and get his hands on extreme pornography. So he... I, I think he won't see the outsides of the facility again. I hope not, at least. I, I would pray so, especially yeah. if he can be kept away from children. That would be for the best for everyone involved, I would believe. Yeah, and I'll oh, throw gosh. away the key. Yeah, well, this is perhaps a bit too dark for... No, no, no. I mean, this is... Uh, unfortunately, this is the reality of our world, and uh, to be able to discuss these types of things, while I'm definitely not into true crime or anything similar to that, I mean, these things happen, and I mean, that I mean, really, when we are dealing with the topic of spiritual warfare, this type of darkness is exactly what we are fending against not saying that you know people normally have these types of urges but that they happen and to pretend like they don't is just to be a willing participant in ignorance and ignorance is the absolute last thing that i would advocate in any given situation oh, yeah i i agree uh, I, I agree uh, jj and also the instrumentality, the, the, and this was more common. What, what I encountered often was, was that the victim was just viewed as an instrument, instrument to one's own gains or lust or whatever, an instrument mm -hmm. to, to cope with, with uh, uh, someone's own pain, mental pain or whatever. And I think there is... And, and that's something when talking about evil, I think also, I also look inside of myself and 
we've, I don't know if you, you, do you know Carl Jaspers? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And the German philosopher and psychiatrist, and he said, or he wrote, you cannot fully understand the other. You cannot fully know the other. And perhaps we cannot fully know ourselves. And there lies a, a little seed of, of potential evil in it or a potential wrongdoing. Because we, we, at, at the point that we, we cannot see the other as a person and be aware of it, that the other is a person and, and with mental processes and, and, and feelings and all greater than life itself, then we run at risks to make the other something less in our mind. Mm. And that's now we're getting to the language part of it because in here in, in Holland we are and I, I'm I'm not sure if it's in other in other countries as well, but at least in, in our mental health uh, institutions, managers tend to talk about production and and with productions, they mean the time you spend together with a patient in a room, mm -hmm. helping a patient, and they call this production. And they will address the healthcare people work that they have to increase their production or make sure their production is in order to get enough money. And there is a, a bit of a cynicism in this. Because at the point that you're talking about production, the, the few I have uh, in my mind is about a factory. When you stand behind an, some sort of a conveyor belt or trying to produce as much goods as possible. Right, exactly. And it, it annoys me or it, it really it pains me as well that this kind of language is being used in a, in a context where it is adamant that we really try to understand the other, uh, to understand uh, their problems and not view them as production or whatever, <laughs> but right. as people, as persons. Yeah, because I would imagine that I mean, you're dealing with an individual's life and how they think and how they perceive the world. It's not something in which a questionnaire is going to be able to give you ready-made answers for. No. And actually, that's one other thing I wanted to ask you about. You know, the first time that I ever read, and I think it was in his book, Stephen King's It, where he described an individual who had zero empathy. Mm-hmm. It was a person who just could not understand that other people were people. The only thing that mattered to this boy was himself, and that's the only thing that they understood. And that was a revelation to me. I'm like, there really could be individuals like that? And then just even more minutely, people that have aphasia, where they cannot picked, you know, have mental images of whatever they are talking about. They can just kind of conceptualize words, but there's no imagery that goes with that. I mean, there can be some 
truly fundamental differences between individuals. I mean, do you have any other examples of kind of like fundamental differences that you have encountered? And, you know, how I know we like to think that because we're all humans, we have the same kind of circuitry or at least basic understanding of the world. But the more that I've seen, I think there's a a phenomenal amount of nuance to that and variability. There is, yeah, yeah. Perhaps that's uh, I'm trying to to think of an example because what you were telling me there's the 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 inability to to feel empathy mm-hmm. and to well, of course, I've spoken to persons uh, in, in inside the facility in the in the mental hospital as well that they are although they. They have been convicted of. of uh, was this person in particular? He has been. He had been convicted by, of killing a very young child, four years old, five years old. Oh! And he he had stabbed him uh, with a knife, and he kept on saying to me, "Well, no, I. I it wasn't. It wasn't murder. It was." Um, manslaughter i think it was it was uh, it was an accident because he he walked right up to me and although proof told different but he mm-hmm. was not either he was not capable of seeing himself as being this who committed who took a life he wasn't mm-hmm. able to cope with it or he really was completely conv- at least he was really convinced he it was an accident. I asked him, "What are you? What were you doing in in a school? Because it was in a school with a knife, where you had nothing, you had nothing to do there." And he, well, he couldn't answer me, but but there was no feeling of remorse, or there was no sense of I hurt the other, or it was very egoistic, egocentric. He, it was unfair that he was now confined, and he had no notion in his head of what what it would be for the, uh, for the parents of this boy, or not, none whatsoever. And this is what what I encountered a regular on a regular basis. Sometimes, well, I spoke with people who were mentally, how you say it, with 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 real intelligence. But in this case, that was so intelligence doesn't have uh, has not something to do with this. This was a complete lack of of uh, humanity. Mm-hmm. Only th- that's also a, a very dangerous thing to say because if I say it, it wasn't human to do or it was a lack of humanity, I, I would like to separate him in from what we are. As 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 a species or as humans, and this is so. This is so. I don't want to dissociate him from from what what we are, and that is shocking. That this is also human nature, right? Yeah, and I would say maybe that is a defining characteristic of human versus preternatural evil, where. In human evil, 
Yeah, the acts can be absolutely atrocious, whether on an individual or, I mean, in in the case of World War II, a genocidal you know scale. However, I think to the person who has committed those atrocities, they are still the hero of their story. You know, they can only see the world through their eyes. So mm-hmm. whether they have placed greater import upon their own needs and desires or the fact that they can rationalize away whatever Mm -hmm. happened to make so that they are not the bad person then that is still a defining characteristic however if you knew that yes there are other people with as valid of opinions and feelings and perspectives as i and yet i am still going to go around and cause this not for a cause, but just to do it. Mm-hmm. That is, have uh, I couldn't even imagine running into something as sinister and evil as what that might be. It's a real uh, sadism. Is is exactly yeah. That the, those people the. They they thrive in in the pain and the suffering of others, not because they don't feel the pain and know about the pain. They know they do something that hurts the other, and that that thrills them, and that makes them tick. Well, I think at some further point, because I would like to get into the nuances of language at some point. Whether it is, you know, Wittgenstein's language games or just postmodernism in general, I think that we could have a really amazing conversation around that. But unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Mr. Burt, this is his second ever, at least to my knowledge, podcast appearance. He was actually first on Victor's Trailer Trash Terrors. And that is an amazing episode. If you have not listened to that or to that podcast in general, highly recommend you to do that. But yeah, this is uh, Bert's uh, second appearance. Is there any particular site or media that you want to to sponsor or to advocate for that in which you appear on? Uh, no, <laughs> no I, I, I don't know what, what for... Because you have mostly um, American listeners, so I'm I'm not. Oh, and that's fine. That's no problem at all. <laughs> Bert, thank you very much for sharing your expertise, your experience. It has been a highly illuminating conversation, at least from my perspective. And I cannot thank you enough for your time. Uh, you're more uh, than welcome. Thank you for listening to Southern Demonology. Find us online at southerndemonology.com, which offers links to all of our social media and episodes. Southern Demonology is solely owned, produced, and edited by myself, and the intro and outro music are composed by me as well. If you have a moment, please rate, like, and share this podcast as it is the best way to help support my work. As always, I am JJ, and it has been a pleasure to speak to you today.
we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.